Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. Today we're talking about looking at your finances under a microscope. Well, maybe not your finances, but you may need somebody to check out somebody else's under a microscope at some point. My guest today is Stuart Berman, and he's the co-founder of RSA Management and Investigations. He has spent the better part of his career looking into the fine details that most others miss. So we're going to ask him today what it takes to get to the bottom of a financial fraud situation, what it takes to get to the bottom of assets that people are trying to hide, and what it takes to uncover sophisticated money laundering plots. You're not going to want to miss this episode of The Inside BS Show. Stuart, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us here today. And Dave, thank you for having me. All right, so tell me, were you the kid who was always watching the other kids to try and figure out what they were doing when you were growing up, and that's how you decided to be the guy who digs into the details of what's going on in the, in the finances of fraudsters? Or was this something that just kind of happened to you as you went about your career? You know, strangely enough, there 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 was a transition to uh, to get to this point. And and right out of school, I was a Series Seven licensed stockbroker. So I was always a finance. I was always a financial type of guy. And and one day we uh, I had a client who came in and she started crying. And I asked her what's wrong. And she said, Well, another stockbroker stole her money. And I said, Well, you know, that's very very hard to do. It's a it's a highly regulated uh, industry with state agencies and, and an association and a federal agency. So she brought in a bunch of statements and I took a look at her statements and, and this was probably 1993. And I ended up uh, putting into Excel about two years worth of transactions where the broker was taking her out of uh, municipal bonds with maybe two to three years left to maturity and putting her in 30 year bonds. She was 85 years old. She was never going to live to see, you know, uh, a 30 year bond to come to fruition. And it turns out I turned it over to the state of Illinois. They investigated it. They made uh, my client whole. They made the, uh, the brokerage firm pay for that. The, uh, the broker lost his license and his immediate supervisor lost his license for failure to supervise. Four months later, the state of Illinois offered me a job to investigate securities fraud. They liked the way that I put together the spreadsheet showing economic damages, the, the loss that, that occurred to, to my client. Wow. Okay. So you were, you are like the kid who's playing pickup baseball in the, in the sandlot and the scout comes by and goes, sign that guy up, right? That's how, that's how it went for you. It, that, that's exactly how, how it went for me. I mean, uh, the offer of employment came out of left field and uh, I, I was having a great time doing this and figuring this out for myself. And uh, it, it was not it was not a career that I had been pursuing. But but once it presented itself, uh, I, I could hardly resist. Okay, so take us take us through uh, the the progression of your career and some of the other things you did. So you you worked in finance right you worked you you worked with um securities fraud talk about some of the some of the anti-money laundering stuff and some of the other types of investigations you did over the years 
Okay, so to, to give you a little bit of background, I, I went from working for the state of Illinois uh, Department of Securities, doing investigations and audits, and after about four and a half years, I moved to the federal government. I am, I am now a retired federal agent um, and a forensic accountant. I spent over 20 years with the U.S. General Services Administration Office of Inspector General investigating criminal, civil, and administrative cases. So what made that uh, a very unusual place uh, as a federal law enforcement agency is that one day we could be on the streets investigating um, a credit card fraud case. And the next day we were investigating a $600 million KETAM case, civil, uh, civil fraud case. So in working those types of cases, everything from street crimes to, to very complex, uh, high-level uh, fraud crimes, we developed those skills. Because what do criminals ultimately want to do? <laughs> they want to hide the money. They want to hide the flow of money. And, and especially, um, that's where, where you find anti-money laundering. I'm a certified anti-money laundering specialist. And in those cases where they use um, structuring and layering to, to try and throw us off so that we can't find the money that was hidden, once we find that, those become additional charges in the federal arena. And, and those charges carry a, a, a very uh, long sentencing guideline. So that, that's where you develop it, is working those, those cases, tracing the money from A to B to C, to the point where they they have like a, a clean company check or they've washed the money. So we bring those skills today and, and today it's, you know, it's a different story because, you know, in, in the last five or six years, because of technology, they have new vehicles to work with. At, you know, at, at one time they were strictly working, you know, with bank accounts. And, and then they were working with brokerage accounts. And now they're working with cryptocurrencies, ex exchanges, non-fungible tokens, virtual real estate. And, and, and here's the craziest one of all, video games. Because, because they could buy virtual assets in a video game. They could buy a planet. They could trade within that, that game's manufacturer set of games. They can use exchanges to go to other games. They could trade with other people three, four times, then sell it and leave with a video game clean manufacturer's check. So having the ability to be able to trace cryptocurrencies, transactions, um, cyber transactions, and knowing how and where, <clears throat> excuse me, how and where to be able to find these and where to look today with, with technology makes the difference. Okay, so uh, I I love all that, and I wanna and I wanna talk about uh, I wanna talk about that last part in a little bit of detail. But before we get into that, I wanna um, I wanna go back and ask you. So when we hear about the GSA, the Government Services uh, Administration, you know, I think of the GSA kind of as the uh, the internal police for all the government agencies, right? So if something if something goes wrong in the FBI, don't they turn it over to the GSA to investigate, like the the internal workings at the FBI? Isn't that like the GSA is a massive agency? Am I am I off in that, or is that is that what it is? You're you're on the right track, but but there are further um, breakdowns. 
The GSA is the landlord. It is the fleet service and the contracting branch of the federal government. So government properties are owned uh, by the GSA and leased to agencies. Um, and, and with that, you, you find a lot of contracting fraud. It's the contracting branch ah. for the federal agencies. So they can contract and, and, and literally everything from a, a paper clip to an F-16 fighter jet and, and everything in between. Um, so they set the prices, establish the contracts, manage the contracts, and then they're the fleet. So when you have this much going on in contracting, you end up with a lot of contracting fraud. You end up with third parties or contractors who don't necessarily deal honestly with the federal government, whether it's inferior quality product substitution or double billing or some other type of, of scheme um, or a pay-to-play type of situation where they are paying bribes to get U.S. government contracts. And that's kind of the work that I did as, as a special agent with the GSA Office of Inspector General. Most of the work I did was in the area of public corruption, um, investigating um, bribes in exchange for government contracts. Okay. So and being in Chicago, there was never a shortage yeah. <laughs> of that type of activity. So when uh, when there's when there's something though, well, and the civil side of it, you mentioned key tam cases. So there's a there's a whistleblower maybe in a uh, in a you know in a fraud uh, for a government contract, like a huge government contract. They would call the GSA to look into that. They they would call us or use our hotline to uh, to look into that. And if if the case was accepted by the U.S. Uh, attorney's office uh you know that that would be uh or or u.s department of justice antitrust then they would intervene and if they intervene then we would do the all, all the investigative work on this whistleblowing uh the the whistleblowers or in this case in a key tam case a uh, whistleblower would be, would be called a relator they would actually stand to gain financially from from any economic damages that that we recovered, and uh, you know, with the GSA being the largest contracting branch of the federal government, it was not unusual to see you know cases anywhere from ten thousand to five hundred million dollars. Sure, sure. All right, now talk about how that relates to what you do today. How is what you do today similar, and how is what you do today different? Okay, that is a that is a great question, Dave. RSA, Risk Management and Investigations. RSA is actually an, an acronym, and it's a cutesy one at that. It stands for Retired Special Agents. My, my business partner comes from um, U.S. Secret Service. We have associates that come from FBI, um, DOJ, Office of Inspector General, Internal Revenue Service, Criminal Investigations, uh, Department of the Treasury, Office of Inspector General. So what we're trying to do is bring that government training, experience, um, investigative skills to the area of forensic accounting and private investigations. And, and sometimes, sometimes I think of us as the forensic accountant or the private investigator of last resort. So we, we've worked on, you know, we, we've established a relationship of working on those cases where it's, it's extremely difficult to find the assets. And again, us, us knowing where to go, especially in, in this crypto virtual world, is, is of tremendous help. 
The other thing is that because of the relationships that we've um, developed over the years with other uh, federal investigative agencies and prosecutorial agencies, when we work on these cases and we find fraud, we often discuss the, the engagement with the attorney uh, in terms of how best we could present this case where they were seeking a civil settlement, how best we could present this to a federal investigative agency, a state investigative agency, a municipal investigative agency, a police department, or a prosecutor so that the client could be made whole by utilizing, um, by, by exposing the fraud and, and uh, being able to present the evidence and allowing the agencies to seek justice, criminal justice. Okay, so who typically engages you these days? Is it, uh, is it an attorney? Like you, we, were, we were talking just before uh, the show began, we were talking about some of the implications of COVID and how bankruptcy and family law cases have, uh, have you know, picked up quite a bit. So who typically engages you? Is it the, the attorney for one party in a divorce or a creditor's attorney in a, in a bankruptcy who thinks that there may have been a fraudulent transfer? Uh, who is, who's the person that typically goes out and, and finds you and brings you into a case? Exactly. Exactly what you said. Uh, in, in a divorce case, in, in, in family law matters are way up since, since COVID. Um, you know, Maybe that's spending for a period of time, spending that extra 10, 12 hours a day together. You know, uh, people start, it started out really nice. And then they, you know, um, couples found out that they, they turned into George Costanza's parents <laughs> in, in the process. Uh, so that's usually the case. We are engaged, we are engaged by attorneys. And then when it comes to um, corporate investigations, looking for embezzlement, defalcation, misappropriation of funds. We are usually engaged, you know, by, by uh, the CFO or, or uh, counsel for them. Uh, and I would say roughly three quarters of our work is um, litigation support, uh, civil, you know, in, in terms of marital law, uh, bankruptcy, fraudulent transfers, white collar, criminal defense, and uh, an e-discovery type work. And then the balance of that is uh, corporate, corporate investigations and, and fraud examinations. And does, does all of your work in some way involve um, financial issues? There's, there's no, you, you guys are not the hide in the bushes type private investigators, right? You're more of the green eye shade uh, private investigators, right? Exactly, exactly. We are licensed private investigators, and, and we're licensed in, in more than one state. Uh, but we are we are not, you know, hiding in, in the bushes. We are not doing um, surveillances. But this is something that that allows us to investigate cases a little bit more thoroughly. And in the forensic accounting world, they um, they sometimes will will add in the interview process you know, to, to assist in their, their uh, investigative work. Whereas years of, of years of federal investigative experience, uh, we find it almost uh, impossible not to add in serious um, interviews and uh, in, into our investigative work. I mean, that's how we uncover facts. That's how we 
uncover places to to look for assets. That's how we obtain written statements, which which greatly assist, especially in the um, in the litigation support process. Okay, so Stuart, let's talk a little bit about. Um, I want I want to get into a little bit about some of the newer, really interesting, sexy uh, types of. Uh, ways to launder money. You mentioned crypto. You mentioned you even mentioned like video games, like virtual reality, NFTs. I want to talk about that. I want you to tell us a little bit more about that in just one minute. So give that some thought for a minute. I need to remind folks that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. For over 35 years, Sandrowski has provided outstanding service to folks on a nationwide basis. And one of the things that Sandrowski does that I think really makes a lot of sense for business owners is they can do a comprehensive tax review of not only your business, but your personal holdings. So let's say you're a business owner and you're planning on selling your business down the road. Well, Sandrowski can help you by helping you restructure your business so that five years or more down the road, you're eligible for a qualified small business tax or a qualified small business stock exemption. Now, this is for eligible businesses that do under $50 million in annual revenue, and you have to be structured in a certain way, and there are some industry-based exclusions. So here's the thing you need to do. If you own a business and you do less than $50 million of revenue, and you think that you'll be selling your business at any point in the future, you should give Sandrowski a call because they'll examine your entire corporate structure. They'll look at the tax bracket that you're in personally, they'll look at the taxes that you're paying on your company, and they can help you determine whether or not your entity structure will be eligible for this QSBS, Qualified Small Business uh, Stock Exemption, in the event that you decide to sell your business. And again, it has to be in place five years prior to your sale. Give Sandrowski a call. They'll explain the whole thing to you. You can reach them at 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors is a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. If you want to build your book of business and you're a professional, here's what you need to do. You need to have a plan in place that helps you make your relationships work for you. Relationship-based business development is the way to go if you're a professional. You're not going to cold call. You're not out there knocking on doors, asking people if they have problems you can solve. You need to rely on your relationships. I've got a guide for that. It's the same guide I use with my clients. I'm going to give it to you for free. Here's all you need to do. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, revenueroadmapguide.com. Enter your contact info. Download your free business development plan today. It's my gift to you for watching, for listening to the show. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com. Enter your contact info today. All right, we're talking with Stuart Berman, and he is the co-founder of RSA Management and Investigations. You can reach out to him at 708-417-9269, 708-417-9269. All right, so Stuart, what are these nefarious characters doing these days with crypto, with NFTs, with, I guess, virtual reality assets? I mean, this, th- these, uh, these, uh, Bad actors sometimes are so strategic in the in the schemes they come up with. I mean, I you know, crypto I get, but like going into virtual reality and buying assets in virtual reality and then trading them and having a clean asset and then selling it, wow. 
I didn't even imagine that that was, uh, I mean, it makes sense that it's a money laundering scam, but I didn't imagine that people would be that, uh, would that we would use that type of a vehicle. Talk about some of these newer things that you've seen. Okay, so I think, I think the best way to make this very understandable is actually to tell a story. So in, in 2005, there was a uh, Hollywood actor, kind of a B-list movie actor by the name of John Jacobs. And now he likes to be called John Never Die Jacobs. So John Jacobs was a gamer. He loved playing video games. And his game of choice was Entropia. So he actually, he um, refinanced his home. And in his, rife, in his refi, he did a $100,000 cash out. And he bought a planet in Entropia and called it Club Never Die. So he made a nightclub a coliseum, and a shopping mall out of his virtual reality, his virtual real estate within this game, Entropia. Now, he charged people a dollar to come in. He charged them to go to the bar and to get drinks. He charged them to make purchases um, in the coliseum and the shopping mall. Now, they were paying with virtual dollars. But there's an exchange where you, where you exchange real dollars in the exchange for virtual dollars in the game. So he buys this, this planet for $100,000. He averages somewhere between two hundred dollars and $250,000 a year in revenues. Virtual revenues that become real revenues because you cash the virtual out for, uh, for uh, fiat currency. So over a six-year period of time, he, he makes over a million dollars. After that, he decides to, to uh, go ahead and sell his his planet and his clubs. Club never die, and he sells it. I think for somewhere over six hundred thousand dollars. So he makes well over a million dollars in revenue, and he makes another half a million dollar plus um, in selling this this virtual asset. Now, mind you, this is an unregulated industry by the federal government and especially by the Internal Revenue Service. So all income was self-reporting and his capital gains was self-reporting. Well, the gaming, world's, the gaming world takes notice of this. And as the gaming world is taking notice of this, so are the professional money launderers. Here is a place where not only can they buy assets, but they could generate revenue off the assets. Because one of the biggest problems with, with money launderers is slippage and shrinkage. As they're utilizing process and moving it from one place to another, money is shrinking, shrinking and, and losing money. But if they're buying assets that generate revenue, there's kind of that offset from shrinkage. As I said earlier, that if there's one game manufacturer, that game manufacturer might allow you to trade between one game and another game they have. So now you trade assets that you own, virtual assets in one game to the next game, maybe to the next game. In the early days of this, they had um, dark web exchanges. Now they have above ground web exchanges. So let's say you want to go from Entropia and sell your planet and trade with someone who is um, an asset owner in World of Warcraft. You want to trade your planets for uh, a number of swords. You are now jumping from one manufacturer, game manufacturer, to the next. 
and some people then jump from one that manufacturer to the next. At some point, you may just want to sell everything outright. And when they do that, they're, they're ending up with a check. And this check is not traced to the original um, cash and currency that they received from their, as their ill-gotten gains, gains from their illicit activities. So the, the money laundering community took notice of this. And this started becoming uh, this started becoming a vehicle and a vehicle that they wanted to use. Uh, a lot of these games now will let you purchase these assets with the use of cryptocurrencies. So now you're adding one more layer where instead of just looking where where in federal investigators would look with subpoenas at money leaving a bank account they would have to start tra tracking and tracing money going to cryptocurrency wallets and maybe from a series of wallets then onto a game manufacturer. When you take a look at something like these non-fungible tokens, we see creative work of works of art, virtual works of art, but yet they have ownership and they have value because uh, of perspective, because people decide that they have value virtual real estate people decide that they have value and in this virtual real estate you know you you can have um rooms where people could join in the rooms you could have concerts where people could pay to see the concerts once again so we have these revenue generating virtual spaces and by purchasing one going to another and changing forms each time you change form you make it harder for someone to follow and to trace. Now, the nice thing about it is today that we have cyber detectives and we have, we have people, um, associates as part of our staff, you know, who have been trained on, on such tools as, as chain analysis and, and cipher trace and, and um, other tools to be able to go ahead and, and watch money go from a crypto wallets, wall, uh, currency wallet here to here to here to here. So it, it becomes uh, more and more complex, but it's not something that's unsolvable. It's something that can still be followed. Yeah, but it, that's, a, that's a really complex scheme. So your, you know, your corner drug dealer who also owns a bodega and runs his money through the bodega is not gonna, you know, most of them are not gonna be able to pull off a scheme like this. This is a sophisticated fraudster. This is somebody who's probably dealing in like arms or, you know, is siphoning money from a governmental agency or a very large company. This is a, this is something that requires significant intellectual horsepower to pull off, correct? This, these are very, very advanced financial professionals. There, there, there's no question about it. But, you know, for years and years, I've been watching the skill sets of those who commit crime um, increase exponentially. You know, there's that, that old saying about, um, you know, computers, when they were first developed, the first 25 years, things, you know, move slowly. And then after a certain point, technology has grown at a quantum leap. And especially with artificial intelligence involved. Well, because technology has grown at a quantum leap, so has the fraudster. And, and you know, basically the thing that, that I've always said is that um, 
that the crimes never change, only the props. Yeah. So a theft is a theft, and embezzlement is is embezzlement, but the props and the means by which they do it. Those are the items that change, and and we're forced we're forced to um, to always go through training and increase our certifications and and do continuing professional education hours to be able to to stay on top of this. Otherwise, we won't be able to. Yeah. Well, I, I live in Miami, and we, you know we're familiar with fraudsters down here. We've got we've got healthcare fraud. We've got frauds in the real estate industry, but. That cyber fraud with gaming, uh, you know, NFTs and crypto, that's that's some really advanced stuff. You know, Stuart, let's touch a little bit on um, some of the measures that have been put in place. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar uh, with them, but I'm, I'm willing to bet that you that you might be a little familiar with them. Like here in Florida and up in New York now, there was a trial program that I think was extended. It may have even been made permanent where you had to trace funds back two generations if you were buying a uh, condo that was over a certain dollar value. And that was specifically put in place because people who are on the sanctions list before the the recent unpleasantness in Ukraine, you know, the uh, Russians who are on the sanctions list, Chinese who are on the sanctions list, they would have uh, straw buyers but using their money to buy condos, like here in Miami, there's a there's a particular strip in in northeast the northeast portion of Miami called Sunny Isles Beach, where more Russian is spoken than English or Spanish, and that particular area is all high end multi million dollar condos that were more than likely I don't know for sure, so don't write me letters or send me tweets and stuff saying that I'm picking <laughs> on Russians, but. There, I guarantee you there is Russian money from people who are on the sanctions list that purchased some real estate there. So they put these measures into place where people have to trace the, uh, the finances back a couple of generations. Now, that's, that's been in place for in, in the criminal defense field for years where you couldn't use the money from ill-gotten gains to, to defend yourself. So, you know, when you pay your lawyer, you know, the mon- that money oftentimes would have to be traced back a couple of generations. Explain to people what that means, because that's, that's not as tough as, you know, tracing, you know, money that's out in cyberspace. Explain how, like a condo purchase, how would you trace the money back two generations? I'm coming to buy a condo. Do I need to show that I made the money through a job or it was given to me by my Uncle Pete? Like, how does that work? Tracing is tracing. So you, you, would, you would look at the deposits and the source of the deposits. You would also marry those up to tax returns. So, you know, we we all started at the same place is where the origin of that money came from. That check came from to purchase that condominium. And we trace it back from there. And, and on this, I mean, you have to go back two generations. So, uh, as I said, it it is just a, a process where, you know, in the... In the uh, federal investigative community, the the one great thing that you always have um, access to is federal grand jury subpoenas. So for the most part, there's nothing that you can't be able to obtain and and uh, and examine on that. But you know, it, let's say that um, something were to 
you know, you have a bank here and, and the bank that purchased the condominium that the check came from, you were to look at the deposit that came from that bank and that bank came from, let's say, uh, a bank inside of, of Russia. So now the trail gets a lot more difficult because you're trying to, to be able to confirm if those assets were legitimate assets or they were assets that, that came from, you know, some type of uh, illicit trade or operation. And, you know, for the folks, for the attorneys who are listening, the real estate, some of the real estate attorneys who are listening, who are watching, where are some of the spots that should, in their mind, throw up a red flag if funds are coming from? Is it like Isle of Man, Jersey, the Caymans, not Jersey, New Jersey, the, uh, Jersey, the island? Like, what are some of the areas of the world where, obviously, if money's coming from Russia, you're, it's going to be, you're going to go, wait a minute, right? If money's coming directly from China, you're going to go, hang on a second, right? But like, where are some of the sneaky places where money could be coming from where you, the attorney should take a moment and say, hey, listen, we need to do a little bit more vetting on this to make sure we don't have a problem? So, you know, always, you can always go to the sanction list and take a look at that. You can go to the OFAC website. You can go to the uh, Association of Certified Anti-Money Laundering Specialist website and go ahead and, and take a look at those lists. But the truth of the matter is, is that today, with cryptocurrencies and exchanges everywhere, it's very easy to have money always coming in the United States from the United States. It's very easy to make it appear that, that the wallet or the exchange that was used is here in the United States. Mm. So it's, it's actually the tracing that becomes much more important than the idea of, of a country of origin. Yeah, interesting. Okay. All right, Stuart, I want you to take a minute now and think of three things you want people to take away from our time together today. What are, what are three things that you want people to remember from our conversation? Take a minute and think about it while I remind folks that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors for over 35 years. Sandrowski has been helping people with tax planning and risk management as well as family office advisory. If you're in a private equity firm and you are doing a number of transactions, you want to make sure that the entity structure and the tax exposure for each of your companies as well as for your management company is done in a way that makes perfect sense and reduces your exposure to the bare minimum. Now, Sandrowski wrote the book on this. They actually have written a book that was published by Wiley on private equity and tax exposure. If you'd like to find out more or you'd like a copy of this book, give Sandrowski a call today. 866-717-1607 is the number. 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. If you'd like to get a business development plan that is simple, that is really uh, based on relationships that makes it easy and natural for you to grow your business, go to RevenueRoadmapGuide.com, enter your contact info, get your free copy of the Revenue Roadmap Guide, get it right now, RevenueRoadmapGuide.com, enter your contact info, download it for free today. All right, so we've been talking with Stuart Berman. He's the co-founder of RSA Management and Investigations. You can reach out to him at 708-417-9269. 708-417-9269. 
Okay, Stuart, give us the three things you think we should take away from our time together today. All right. Well, you know, one, I think that we live in an extremely complex financial world today where people have a lot of tools available to them. And even in situations like family law, people have tools available if they want to try and hide their assets or dissipate assets of, of a marital estate. So, you know, a deeper dive um, that I think we have the tools to provide. If if you were to if you were thinking that something happened, then a deeper dive would be worth it. Um, the second thing is is who we are is is um, RSA risk management retired special agents. We are battle tested. We've been through criminal trials and civil trials. We uh, grand jury. We have federal training. And, and I think that we bring that, that ability to do a deeper dive and extract deeper information and present that in a way that it can be utilized. The other thing is that we bring, the, the last thing I would say is the integrity that we bring to the, the table. Having been government employees and as an Office of Inspector General, federal employee, we are held to a higher standard because we investigate other government employees. So. When we talk to our clients, it, it's not unusual for us when we're looking at a new prospective matter for us to throw two, three hours at something before we tell our client that there's something there. We are always willing to look at something without the meter running, without, without charging, to see if we can be of help to our client. That's our commitment, and that's the integrity that we bring to the table. All right, Stuart Berman, thank you so much. If you want to reach out to Stuart, you can call 708-417-9269, 708-417-9269. Stuart, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you. Dave, it was, uh, it was a pleasure talking to you today, and uh, next time I'm in Florida, I would uh, love to get together face-to-face and enjoy the warm weather. All right, and the next time I'm in Chicago, I will do the same. So I look forward to seeing you, Stuart. We'll talk to those of you who are watching again tomorrow. That's right, we're here every day with a brand new interview. My guest today was Stuart Berman from RSA Management and Investigations. You can call Stuart at 708-417-9269. My name is Dave Lorenzo. We'll see you back here again tomorrow. Until then, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.